This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 30. This is the second letter, a very powerful letter, an unbelievable letter. And Al Rebbe is describing, very apropos, because we just celebrated our 20th gala anniversary, and Yaakov, on his 20th anniversary, since he moved to his uncle Laban's house, and he started out with nothing, and then he ends up with these two camps, four wives, 13 children, 12 children, all this accumulated wealth. And his response is counterintuitive, atypical. It's one thing to be close to Hashem when you're down. But the question is, when you're up and you're on top of the world and you've reached Mount Everest of materialism and Yaakov became a billionaire in the four, top of the Forbes 400, and what was Yaakov's response? I'm completely humbled because of my success. Not despite my success, I remain humble. Because of all the kindness that Hashem has given me, I'm humble. And this is truly counterintuitive. It's godly. You know, it's not the way of the world. Otherwise, we would be living in the most spiritual place in the country. <laughs> no one would accuse Park Avenue of being the most spiritual avenue in the country. But this is the truth, that when Hashem is kind to us, Hashem is hugging us and embracing us. He's drawing us closer to Himself. It's a revelation. Success is a revelation of Hashem's kindness. So when Hashem draws you closer to Him, the closer you get to greatness, to the infinite, the more humble you feel. The less ego. Avraham. The more kindness, the greater, the more successful he became, the kinder he became. The epitome of kindness. Opened up his tent, shared his wealth, welcomed everyone to his home. Sheared, gave of his time, his precious time, to teach, to communicate, to educate, to make people aware of Hashem and to live a Jewish life, a life of goodness and kindness. Because Avram says, I am dust and ashes. The more successful he became, the more dust and ashes. It says, Hashem says, why do I love the Jewish people? Why did I fall in love with the Jewish people? In Deuteronomy it says, Ki because you are the smallest of all nations. Why is that a reason to love us? Because... We're 0.02% of the world population. There are hardly any Jews in the world. Why is that a reason to love, love us? So it actually explains, not because you're numerically, physically, the, numerically the smallest of all nations, but you have this characteristic trait of humbling yourself. Look at Avraham. When he reached his peak, what did Avraham say? I'm dust and ash. Moshe, the greatest human being that ever lived and will ever live. Broke through the barriers. Went to heaven and back three times. Didn't eat and drink for 40 days and 40 nights three times in a row. And what was his response? I am nothing. David, the first real Jewish king of the entire Jewish people. Mighty warrior. Successful. What was his? I'm like a worm. What am I? This quality is what attracts Hashem. This is what appeals to Hashem. This is the chemistry. Hashem doesn't care about the ego, arrogance. You're mighty, you're the wealthiest person in the world. <laughs> so what? You know, it's, 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 like, it's like telling someone who's really wealthy, I own the most stones in the world. Okay, really, I mean, it's very exciting. I mean, it's really, your status just went up, shot through the roof. I, I mean, it means nothing, it has no value. That means absolutely nothing. You're the smartest person in the world. You know what smart is? Hashem is infinitely smart. What's smart? What? Anything, the most talented, the most 
the greatest, the most brightest, the most powerful, have the most power in the world. To Hashem, it means nothing. What attracts Hashem? What attracts the Jewish people Hashem? Their humility. Because it's so godly, it's so counterintuitive. It's so unexpected. And the more successful we are, the humbler we become. This was Yaakov's response. I am small, I feel humbled because of all, my, all the kindness that you have done to me. And this Alter Rebbe wrote right after he was released, right after he was miraculously released from prison. You can't imagine the victory, the tremendous victory, triumph, that the Hasidim felt. By a Jew, there's no room for ego, there's no room for arrogance, even a trace of arrogance. Especially by Hasidim. Because the whole essence of Hasidism is about getting beyond your ego. Egolessness. Refinement. It's not about me. It's not about I. It's about Hashem. And the ultimate test of egolessness is not in your relationship with Hashem. It's your relationship with other people. It's very good to be, it's very nice to be egoless to Hashem. It's not hard to be egoless in relationship to Hashem. But to be egoless in relationship to another human being, to realize that Hashem works through human beings, and to be humble and to be a mensch to a human being that doesn't deserve to be treated right, because he did, he was a louse. He was a good for nothing. He wasn't no good nick. He was a bum in a low life. And what he did was inexcusable. What they did to the Alter Rebbe was inexcusable. It was a crime, criminal. And yet, Alter Rebbe says, that's between them and Hashem. But we cannot walk around with a sense of superiority complex, sense of arrogance, sense of triumphalism. The Alter Rebbe didn't want to have anything, anything, none of that. He says, when we experience such a miracle, we have to become even less egotistical. We have to become even more egoless than before. We have to become more loving and kinder, even to those who don't deserve that love and kindness. Then I know that you've truly, you truly got it, that you've truly absorbed this miracle. But if God forbid it's going to lead to division and divisiveness and conflict and ego, then this has nothing to do with holiness. It's a very, it's a very powerful, you have to picture the moment how Hasidim felt, all this pent up, they thought Alter Rebbe could have been killed. And that would have basically been the end of the Hasidic movement. Nipped in the bud. Uprooted from its very root. The very foundation would have been destroyed. It was so tender. It was so... Hasidism was still so young. And, and the forces against it were so powerful. The whole establishment fought it. With tooth and nail, like tigers. So much so to the extent that they went and violated the Ten Commandments, out of murder, and rationalized in their mind, excused themselves, gave themselves permission to have the Alter Rebbe killed. Could you imagine having a fellow Jew killed? <laughs> An observant Jew? A rabbi? A Rebbe? Someone like the Alter Rebbe? I mean, it's inexcusable. We don't want to talk about it because we don't want to say bad things about fellow Jews. But it's, it's indescribable. It's criminal, beyond criminal. It's, and it was all in the name of holiness. It was a crusade, a holy crusade. For the sake of God, we're going to kill another Jew. And they took the best Jews, the Hasidim were the best Jews, the motivated, idealistic, selfless, egoless, kind, good, godly, deep, profound. And everything they said about them was libels, was babamises, was pure blood libels. Just like everything they're saying now about Israel, pure libels, pure lies. You would think that the Hasidim had a right to say, you know, listen, you, 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 we should be happy. When evil is defeated, you're happy. Evil got what it's coming to. But the Alter Rebbe says, these are your fellow Jews we're talking about. And if you truly believe in everything that Hasidus teaches you, you have to realize that every Jew, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And every Jew has a holy spark. So you're going to turn this victory and turn around and with a sense of triumphalism, you're going to look down and condescend on and, and your fellow Jew? He says, no, no. Don't do this in my name. Don't do this in the name of my victory, my miracle. 
Accordingly, I am now making a weighty announcement to all the men of our Hasidic fraternity regarding the multitude of favors, the great things that Hashem has done with us. The attribute of chesed, kindness, is also known by the name gedula, greatness, as in the verse which enumerates the divine attributes and which begins Indeed, the term gedula connotes an even greater manifestation of divine kindness than does chesed. Because gedula means a kindness that knows no limit. It's, gr- it's a great kindness. It's an infinite kindness. The Alter Rebbe therefore adds the phrase regarding the great things that Hashem has done for us, thereby indicating the extraordinary kindness Hashem had shown Hasidim by releasing him. He's not taking it for granted. It was a tremendous miracle. The forces arrayed against Alter Rebbe, both here and down on earth, which was just a symptom of the forces arrayed against him in heaven. Very powerful. It was a tremendous accusation, question mark, on the whole Hasidic movement. And it was the fact that he, he was vindicated. There's nothing to be taken for granted. This was an, a, a great miracle, an astounding miracle. As a result of all these favors, hold on to the attributes of Yahweh, where Jews are known as the remnant of his people and the remainder of Israel. A Jew possesses within himself the attributes described here as remnants and remainder. In Jeremiah, the Jewish people referred to as the remnant of his people. He's talking about after the destruction, so the remnant of the people. But it also means that a Jew feels like a remnant. Remnant means I'm completely superfluous. Why does God need me in this world? I feel completely extra. What am I doing in this world? A non-Jew takes his existence for granted. He feels very comfortable with his existence. He feels very solid about his existence. He can't imagine any other existence. A Jew, really, this world is not really, this is, you know, we're just visiting here. You know, we're essentially godly beings that are having human experiences. So we feel like completely extra. What am I doing here? What's my point? What's my purpose? What's my divine mission? What does God need me here for? I don't take my existence for granted. This is, this is the unique quality. She'er Yisrael. We feel completely extra. And Yaakov, at the peak, the height of his success, felt completely, completely like extra. And therefore, it wasn't a sacrifice for him to be kind. When a person feels your existence is very solid, I should give from my hard-earned money to someone else. My hard-earned time, my precious time, my precious energy, it's my life. I'll throw, if, I, if I'm a kind person, I'll throw the other person a bone or two. Something that won't inconvenience me, that won't cost me anything. But when a person feels she'er, like I'm totally extra, completely unselfconscious, no ego, what am I doing here? What, why does Hashem need me? Then I give of myself. Then I can write a check that hurts. That's what tzedakah means. Tzedakah means writing a check that hurts. Writing a check that doesn't hurt, that's not duck. When you write a check and it hurts you, then you know you're giving duck. Everyone on their own level. For a regular person, writing a $1,000 check hurts. For a billionaire, writing a million dollars is like someone else writing $18. You know, it's everyone on their own level. And I can give of my time, my precious time, to help another person. Because I am extra. There's no ego. What am I doing in this world? What does Hashem need me of? It's a gratuitous kindness. Every moment that I have, everything that I have, Hashem doesn't owe me anything. And He gave me another chance. He gave me a second chance. I have to do something with it. What am I doing? To justify it, what am I doing with it? Then, then it's easy to be forgiving, to be genuinely generous, And then you also give in a way without ego, without arrogance. When a person is so full of himself, the giving is enough to kill you. Because he gives you with such a heavy-handed way. It's so clear who the giver is and who the receiver is. So you you kill the person with his kindness because you make the person feel so terrible. 
But a person whose ego is, he, the way he gives, he gives with such refinement. He gives if you're doing him the biggest favor. It's the exact opposite. I'm doing you a favor. I'm giving you, you're giving me. You're giving me the opportunity for me to give, to do what Hashem wants. This is, this, is, this is such a refined quality. It says in the Talmud, if someone gives some tzedakah, he gives a dollar to tzedakah, and he says, on the condition that my son should live. My son is very ill. I'm giving the tzedakah on the condition that my son should live. He's a complete tzaddik. A totally righteous person. You're very puzzled. After all, you're giving tzedakah, yes, you're doing a mitzvah, but you're giving for an ulterior motive. You're not giving it to help the poor person. You're giving it because for yourself, your selfish reasons. Your son is sick. You need an extra merit. So you're giving tzedakah, you're writing a check to help my son. See, even if you say, when it comes to tzedakah, who cares what your motivation is? You're helping the other person. This is one area, who cares what your motivation is? The bottom line is, you save the person, so much so. Even if a person loses money, and a poor person finds that money, and you saved his life, you did the mitzvah tzedakah. What does he care? That not only didn't you intend to give tzedakah, you're sorry that you lost the money, and you feel bad that you lost the money. But the bottom line is, a poor person found it, and you saved his life. So you saved his life, and you get that merit. Fine. So he has the mitzvah tzedakah. Intent is not so important. But why do you say, why does the Talmud say he's a tzaddik gummer, he's a complete tzaddik? What's so complete about, what's so righteous about his act? It's completely selfish and self-centered. So Chassam Sefer says something amazing. He says, the explanation is as follows. When you help another person, when you come to the poor person and you help them, the poor person dies inside. No one likes to be in the receiving end. It's embarrassing, it's humiliating. So you're coming and you're the giver and he's the receiver. Feels like a schnutter. Feels terrible, horrible. So what does this giver do? Look how refined this Jew is. He comes to the poor person and he says, you don't understand. Please, do me a favor. Take this money. Because by taking this money, you're saving my life. You're saving my son's life. Suddenly, he reversed turned it upside down. Who's the giver? The poor person is the giver. He is doing the rich man the biggest favor. He makes him feel like a million bucks. Oh, the Talmud says, anyone who has such refined character, this is a complete tzaddik. It's not just giving. It's how you give. But where does it all come from? Anyone who comes with ego and am a philanthropist, such arrogance, such ego. You can smell it a mile away. You can cut it. It's so thick. You can cut it with a knife. Yeah, stay home. But someone who feels she'er Yisrael, feels like I am nothing. And the more successful you are, the kind, the more Hashem showers you with His kindness. The more humble you feel. And there's no room for yourself. And you're not thinking about yourself. And then... You give the person, and you give it him, and you in a gentle way, and you make him feel like a million dollars. Regarding himself truly as mere remnants, as something truly superfluous and dispensable. By the way, this is the whole source of ego, arrogance, and the person feels, I need this, and I need that. I must have this, and I must have that. Why? Because I'm so important, and I'm so precious. My ego is so inflated. So I must have this and I must have that. And this has to be this way. That all comes from ego. A person who doesn't suffer from that, doesn't have that ego. I need this. I deserve this. I must have this. Hashem gives me what I need. I eat what I need. I eat healthy. I eat what's really good for me. I have to take care of myself. But I don't need all these luxuries, all this excess. You know, instead of spending my life accumulating possessions, you know, I need this, and I must have this, and I must have that, and I must have that, because my neighbor has this, I must have that. That's all ego, arrogance. Person, what do you mean? I'm so precious, and I'm so special, and I have to have whatever I want, I have to have. 
But a person who feels like completely superfluous and dispensable, and it's a miracle that I exist, and it's only by Hashem's kindness that I exist. And why does Hashem need me? He doesn't suffer from this. He doesn't live his life accumulating things that he doesn't need. He doesn't chase his own tail. He's not so busy accumulating stuff that he really has no time to live and really enjoy life. He doesn't suffer from any of this. And if Hashem blesses him, he can give away most of it. Well, what do I need this? How much do I need? He'll take what he needs, and the rest he can happily give away. How much do I need already? How many steaks can I eat? How many pairs of shoes can I own? Can I wear? How many suits am I going to wear? So this whole consumerism, accumulation, I'm lacking this and I'm lacking that and I need this and without this my life is not a life. It's so silly, it's so superficial, it's so external. But ultimately it all comes from ego. A foolish ego. It comes from ego. I. Every second word is I. And, and you, you know, we just, we, just, we just get into our, we get into our own way. We trip over ourselves. We limit ourselves. We harm ourselves. And blessings turn into a curse. Hashem could bless us. How many people did Hashem bless? And they ended up fighting with their families, fighting with their spouse, fighting with their children, fighting with their parents, fighting with their partners. So you have all the money in the world, but your life is miserable. Hashem blessed you. But instead of feeling blessed, instead of living a blessed life, and being grateful and thankful and generous and kind and good, you, we create our hell on earth. All because of ego. For nonsense, for stupidities, for nothing. All comes from I. I need this, and I want this, and I demand this. Like a little child, like a spoiled little four-year-old child that never grew up, immature. Actually, children, we shouldn't insult children. You ever watch children? It's amazing. Children, you ever see children fight with each other? I'll never talk to you again the rest of my life. Three minutes later, they're playing like best friends. <laughs> As if nothing happened. They're not going to spend the rest of their life being miserable. But two adults, forget about it. They get into a fight. I'll never talk to you again. Brothers and sisters are not talking to each other. Fifty years later, they have all time. They don't even remember why they're fighting. But they just remember, no, I'll never talk to you again. I'll never forgive you. I'll never forget. So, and they live miserable. And it all comes from ego. There's no need. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. So if we had no egos, 99% of human misery would be resolved. This world would be a garden of Eden. 95% of psychiatrists would be out of business. But we create this own misery. But when we feel closer to Hashem, and the closer we feel to Hashem, and the more Hashem smiles at us, and the more success we have, and the more we feel humble and insignificant, why does Hashem need me? Who am I? What am I? What am I needed here? I feel completely superfluous. That's the vessel for all the blessings. That's the vessel for infinite blessings. To receive the infinite blessings, if we are finite, you can't fill a full cup. You have to empty the cup. When the cup is empty, when you feel egoless, you can receive the blessing. That's why the Rebbe explains why the difference between the first set of tablets and the second set of tablets. It says the first set of tablets was limited. God only gave the five books of the Torah. The second set of tablets, He gave the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the oral Torah. And yet, how did they merit the second set of tablets? It was only when their heart was shattered. After they sinned with the golden calf. And they were completely broken. Because the first set of tablets, they were perfect. They felt righteous, they were holy, they were perfect. You know, when you're perfect, you're not a vessel for the infinite. A human finite being cannot receive or absorb the infinite. The moment the heart was shattered and broken to a thousand pieces, oh, now Hashem says, now you're ready to receive the infinite blessing to absorb the infinite. So this is for a Jew, this is how it works. The closer we get to Hashem, the more our heart is broken. The more successful we are, the more our heart is broken. And this is what Alter Rebbe was looking for Ms. Hasidim. The proper response to such a miracle that happened to Alter Rebbe is, how broken-hearted are you? How egoless are you? Alter Rebbe smelled right away this sense of ego and arrogance and triumphalism and, and fifing on the enemy and whistling on the enemy and I'm better and you're lower and condescension. Alter Rebbe says, oh, no, no. Let's not stoop to their level. <laughs> we are Hasidim. 
We are not the establishment. We are not misnagdim. We are not about ego or arrogance. We are about godliness. And how do we know you're close to godliness? The more shattered you are, the more broken-hearted you are, the more humble you are, the more egoless you are. And how does that express itself? How you treat your fellow Jew, even your enemy. How you treat them. If there's peace and there's harmony and there's love, even if they don't deserve it, don't forget, after all, the right way to look at them is they were like immature children. Someone who doesn't study Tanya, someone who doesn't study Hasidut, he can be very learned in the Talmud. But, he, but psychologically, he's like an immature child. Never developed, never grew up. He can be brilliant. It's, it's, it's like, almost like an idiot savant, <laughs> a child savant, that children are brilliant. But they're children, they're babies, they're immature. So someone who doesn't, didn't study Hasidus, you know, they're living in such a, a limited universe. They have no clue, they have no concept of godliness, of the infinite, of something greater than your own mind, something greater than yourself, of the holiness of the Torah. And instead of the Torah having the right effect on you, the more Torah you study, the more loving you are, the more kind you are, the more more humble you are, instead they become arrogant and ego and rigid and inflexible and, and condemning and judgmental. The exact opposite effect that the Torah should have on you. Moshe, the greatest Torah scholar, was the most humble person that lived. That's the proper effect the Torah has to have. And anything that happens in your life has to shake you up in a positive way and make you more humble and a better person and a more refined person and a more godly person. So having this experience of Alter Rebbe's liberation, such a miracle, such a miraculous historical event, this has to shake up the Hasidim in a positive way. It has to make us even better Hasidim and better Jews and more loving and kinder and even to those who don't deserve it. This is what Alter Rebbe was looking for. This is the moment of truth. This is how we know that you're truly connected with what's going on. Their inner story, what's really going on. It's not about ego. We won and you lost. That's, that's, that's childish. We're not going to stoop to their level. We're not childish. We're not children here. This is a serious battle. It was a battle in heaven. An accusation against Hasidism. Hasidism, thank God, triumphed and was victorious. And we have to become even more godly and better Jews. And then we know that this is for real. Let the men of our fraternity not become haughty in relation to their brethren, i.e. their opponents, who cause the arrest of the altar we bear. Let them not jeer nor whistle devicely at them, heaven or them. A strict warning, hold your peace, mention nothing. This would be the natural reaction to, in Yiddish they say, to fight fun of them, whistle at them. You losers, you lost. And they were bad news. I mean, let's not, let's not, Let's be honest here. <laughs> These opponents were bad news. Now, 200 years ago when this happened, a little over 234 years ago, at least they had an excuse. Most of them didn't know better. Hasidism was new. It was revolutionary. It was after Shabtai Tzvi. They were afraid. They didn't know how to eat it. They didn't know how to digest it. They were misled. The leaders were misled. At least you have an excuse. But today, 5,773, after the greatest leaders of the Lithuanian movement, the Chafetz Chaim and Rabbi Chaim Brisker and Rabbi Chaim Meiser, were best friends with the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, for anyone to oppose Hasidism today and to oppose the Baal Shem Tov, as Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, one of the greatest Lithuanian rabbis in Israel of this century, said, anyone who doesn't believe in divine providence according to the approach of the Baal Shem Tev is a heretic. And the Vilna Goyen himself said, anyone who doesn't study the inner parts of the Torah has no understanding of the revealed part of the Torah. This was the Vilna Goyen. So anyone who's opposed to studying Hasidism today and opposed to the Rebbe and opposed to Hasidism today, it's pure ego, arrogance, foolishness, jealousy of the worst kind. You can't even pretend that there's anything to it. Because it's an open world today. Today you can't kid yourself. Travel anywhere in the world. If you're looking for a kosher mikveh, where are you going to find it? There's one address, Chabad. 
You're looking for a kosher meal, a Shabbat experience anywhere in the world. Any Jewish businessman who travels in the world will tell you. Whether it's Satmer or Lithuanian, wherever you go in the world, you need something kosher, you need something 100%. There's only one address. Is anyone today to be opposed and to be cold and indifferent and try to malign and denigrate and put down and because he's opposed to the Baal Shem Tev. Today it's inexcusable. Today it's inexcusable. At least then, at least you can say, you know, they, they meant well, they were sincere. Most of them were sincere and they didn't know better. Except a few handful of the troublemakers who were really the instigators. Actually, Avigdor, the one who put the Alter Rebbe in prison, ended up a drunk. He was a big rabbi, a mince. He ended, up, he ended up addicted. He became a drunk, a drunkard. And he used to come, Yutas Kisle, when the Hasidim with Fabreng, used to come and ask for Lechayim, for vodka, because he was a drunkard. He said, listen, without me, you wouldn't have a holiday. So <laughs> give me my, my fill. He had a very bitter ending. He had a very sad ending, because he was a troublemaker. He was a... Okay, but the Alter Rebbe is saying, nevertheless, don't jeer at them, don't whistle at them. Strict warning. Hold your peace. Don't mention anything. Zipper your mouth. The fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe said, if the Alter Rebbe would not add these three words with the attribute of truth of Jacob. Jacob was all about truth. Avram was the epitome of kindness. Yitzchak epitomized strength, intensity, sacrifice, heroism, courage, awe, fear. Yaakov embodied truth. Had the Alter Rebbe not added these three words, he would have had another 50,000 Hasidim. There's one little problem. The Alter Rebbe demands truth. Alter Rebbe was looking for quality. Not for quantity. Alter Rebbe was not, who was also like Yaakov, the Balshemta was like Avram, the pioneer, the Rabbi Dovber, the Magid, the second leader was Isaac, and the Yaakov, the Alter Rebbe was the Yaakov of the Hasidic movement. And his quality was emes, truth. And he wasn't going to compromise on truth. Truth is the name of Hashem, it's Hashem's seal. Talmud says Hashem's seal is truth. What do you mean a seal? A seal is something you can't duplicate. It's unique. That's why it's a seal. All other attributes of Hashem you can duplicate. Hashem, we have, Hashem is kind. We also have kindness. Of course you can't compare our kindness to Hashem's kindness. Hashem is infinite kindness. But nevertheless, it's kindness. We have wisdom. Hashem has wisdom. Of course Hashem's wisdom is infinite. But it's not a seal. A seal is something that's unique to Hashem. Emes is unique to Hashem. Emes is truth. Absolute. Aleph, Mem, Taf, the first, middle, and final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is what Alter Rebbe would not compromise. And it can drive us crazy. But he wouldn't compromise. It has to be real. Because you can play games. You know, you can... Why does it have to be 100%? Why does it have to be 100% truthful? You know, it's almost... Almost no. Alter Rebbe says it has to be emes. A chassid has to be for real. We're not playing games. Alter Rebbe says I didn't sacrifice my life. I didn't spend 53 days in prison and I could have lost my life. And we didn't go through all this tremendous heroic sacrifice just to get numbers. It's not a popularity contest. It's not how many people we have. But I want quality people. I want people who are genuine through and through. And that's difficult. That's a difficult, that's a tough thing. And that's why the Alter Rebbe demanded that each and every chassid has to work for himself. The Alter Rebbe says, I'm not giving you anything in a silver platter. Everything is given to you. All the opportunities are given to you. But you have to roll up your sleeve and you have to earn it. You have to earn it. You have to own it. You have to sweat, you have to work hard, your effort, your honest effort. And honest effort means everyone on their own level. 
You have to push yourself to the maximum of your ability. Everyone in their own life. It's difficult. It's demanding. But the Alter Rebbe is not having anything less. He says, if you want to come for rides, find somewhere else. This is not, you're in the wrong place. You want an easy ride? Just emotionalism and bluff and fake and fake it and uh, I'm excited. Uh, that's, this is not for me. Find somewhere else. Here you come for reality, for emes. Something that's going to cost you. Something that's going to demand of you. You have to demand of yourself. To be a halbavich chassid, it has to cost you. You have to demand of yourself. You have to push yourself. You have to invest something. Something real. If you don't, you're not ready to invest, you're just ready to be a bystander and cheer on and, and we're, the star, we're the root for the home team and buy a front row seat, he says, stay home. You're in the wrong, you're in the wrong, you have to be a player. You have to be a partner. You have to be a participant, a full-fledged participant. This is Emma's. It's not, it's not, you know, it is for everyone, but it has to be for real. And until you're ready to be real, find somewhere else. They used to say the difference between the Alter Rebbe and his colleagues who had a whole different approach. They believed that the Rebbe, the charismatic figure, he was the center of the Chassid's life. And leave the thinking to the Rebbe. Don't bother the simple Jew with complexities and a simple Jew, have faith in Hashem, go to your Rebbe, your Rebbe will inspire you. And that's enough for you. The Alter Rebbe said no. The Alter Rebbe was a revolutionary within the Hasidic movement. He said no. My Hasidim have to think and they have to meditate and they have to study and they have to work hard. I'm not giving any free rides. And it was a big conflict. So once it was a group of Hasidim who were meeting, different Hasidim, and the non-Labavich Hasidim, each one was boasting about his Rebbe. One person says, you know, there was this woman, her husband ran away, she couldn't remarry, and she went to the Rebbe and the Rebbe gave a blessing and they found the husband. And she got a divorce and she was able to carry on with her life. The other one says, you know, this Jew became mad. He went crazy. And he came to the Rebbe and the Rebbe blessed him and he became sane. And this one says, and this one was sick and he came to the Rebbe and the Rebbe healed him. Everyone had a different story. And Labavitch Chassid didn't have any stories because by the Labavitch Rebbe's, even though there were astounding miracles, they didn't put an emphasis on miracles. Miracles were under the table. No one even paid attention to miracles. That wasn't the emphasis. That's not why you came to the Rebbe. You came to the Rebbe to study Hasidus, to study Tanya, to have an intimate audience with the Rebbe, to grow as a Jew, to develop, to mature. To... So the Hasid's response was, listen. He says, all the Meshugayim and all this, let them go. <laughs> let them go to that Rebbe. But people who want to grow and be a mensch, who want to serve Hashem, Come to the Alter Rebbe, come to Lubavitch, and you'll, you'll learn how to... So this was emes. This was a quality that was very demanding. And because of that, he lost 50,000 Hasid. Because people like the fluff. People like fluff. They like the ride, the emotionalism, the emotional high. They don't like the effort and the work and the real deal. The internal, the subtle that really makes a change in the person's life. Permanent change. The fluff, the excitement, easy come, easy go, that, that doesn't last. That's not real. You know, in America, everyone gets excited. You know, there's, there's a flavor of the moment, everyone gets uh, excited, and then a day later it dies down and as if it never happened. It's not real, it's, it's, it's fluff. A straw catches on fire very quickly. You ever take a thick piece of wood and try to get the thick piece of wood to get on fire? You try to light it and light it and nothing is going. But once you get that thick wood on fire, oh, that fire is going to last. You can't put it out. <laughs> you have to work very hard to put out that fire. That's what the Alter Rebbe says. I want, I want the real you. I want to get you. You're on fire, you're excited. That's fluff. That's, that's superficial. That's... Nobody's impressed with that. That, that doesn't mean anything. You, you, can, you can fool yourself if you're a fool enough. But you're not fooling me. You're talking about getting that hard piece of wood, the real you, really getting yourself on fire, paying the price, sacrificing, working hard, and really being inspired and making a genuine change. This is what Alter Rebbe wanted. 
especially after such a miraculous victory, when Chabad Hasidus triumphed, the Alter Rebbe's path of Hasidus triumphed above and below, Alter Rebbe says, this is what I expect. So he, he laid the marker. You want to be my Hasid? MS. M, you're not MS? Don't waste my time. I'm not impressed. I have no time. And it's completely irrelevant. You want to kid yourself? Kid yourself. But you're not kidding anyone. This is what Alter Rebbe asked. Before everyone. Before every man. And that's how you know it's really MS. How you treat another person. Every man. Even someone who's not deserving. If you're able to have that humility and treat another person like a mensch, even someone who's not deserving, then I know that something changed inside of me. Something really shifted inside of me. That there's been a core, a real change. That you're onto something real. The humility with a soft answer that turns away anger and with a restrained spirit. How do you avoid argument? You know, someone comes to you and King Solomon already, the wisest of all men, said, you fight fire with fire, you're just going to exacerbate the argument. But someone comes to you with harsh accusations and harsh arguments, the best thing is to respond softly. Don't fight fire with fire, even if you're right. You, because first thing, you get nowhere. You're just going to make things worse. You know, a Jew takes three steps backwards after the Shemonesri, and then you say, Oseh Shalom. To make peace, you can be flexible. Don't, don't stand in principle. You're right, so what? Take three steps backwards. And be soft. Someone is yelling and screaming and they're rigid and being impossible. Respond softly. And that will diffuse the situation. You know, it's like the classical example. You can try it. It works like magic every single time. Someone comes and criticizes you. He hates you. He's criticizing. How do you turn that person completely around? It works and always works. Exactly. Start criticizing yourself. Saying not only you're 100% right and it's much worse than you think and you become your own self-critic and you lay it on so thick that the other person will become your biggest advocate. It's not so bad. Take it easy. Not that terrible. That's soft, softness in response to toughness. It always works. You have to be a little of a diplomat. Life is not a court of law. When you go to court, the court is a court of law. But in human relationships, especially when you're dealing with tough people, and even when they're wrong, you know, you have a little seichel, have a little wisdom, be a little soft. You don't, you don't have to fight fire with fire. But I'm right. So you're right. But you lost. You, if you win, you're already lost. You won the fight, but you lost the person. So, you won the fight. You feel very righteous. Yeah, very clever, very smart. And anyway, you lost a friend, you lost the person. So who gained at the end of the day? You're a fool. That's all you are. The world's biggest fool. You have to have the wisdom to respond softly. If the other person is hard, it shouldn't affect your response. Maybe the other person is not ready to hear. You can feel soft. A person can always hear and listen to a weakness within you or what's vulnerable within you. If you share with another person, the problem is we don't share with other people. We criticize and we argue. But imagine if you shared something that's going on inside of you, something real, a vulnerable, a weakness. Instead of criticizing the other person, how dare you say that? How can you say that? Instead, share what's going on inside of you. A genuine share. You know, when you say that, it makes me feel, makes me feel very uh, vulnerable. makes me feel very shaky. You know, you're sharing. You're not criticizing. You're not talking about the other person. Ignore the other person. Talk about you. Talk about a weakness within you. People can listen to your weakness for hours. They have no problem. <laughs> they can't listen to their own weakness. But if you share something about yourself, a genuine sharing, a weakness, your own weakness, and that's how slowly but surely you'll soften them. And then, and then maybe they can move 
get over their obstacle, whatever is in the way, whatever is bothering them, and they can move forward and get over it and clear the blockage and the relationship can move on. Instead of everyone becoming so rigid and, and my position and becomes like a fortified bunker and so you have to have softness. King Solomon, the wisest of all men, Rach A soft response. Share what's going on. Maybe the other person is not ready to hear. But it doesn't matter. I'm sharing. You're immature. You're not ready. That's your problem. I can act maturely. I can share. Don't forget, when a person acts egotistically and arrogantly, it's just a cover-up of their own insecurities, their own immaturities. He's like a little child. He could be brilliant, but he's like a little child who never grew up. So he can't deal with his own insecurities, so he's lashing out and he's critical and hypercritical and negative and harsh. And it's their problem. I'm not a baby. He's a baby, so I have Rahmanas in them. I don't have to play his games. I don't have to be drawn into his mishagazim, to his immaturities. I can act mature. It takes strength. Be strong. Sheer a vulnerability. Sheer softness from within you. And if the other person can't hear it, fine. When he'll be ready to hear it, he'll hear it. But I'm not going to get drawn into their... This takes a lot of maturity. Emotional maturity. A lot of strength of mind. And this will diffuse a lot of anger. Unfortunately, there's so little of that today. So many fights. Everyone gets into a fight right away. and Everything is so... Even the political landscape, everything is so harsh, and everything is so critical, and everything is so negative, and everything is, you know, there's no flexibility, there's no openness, there's no, there's no humanity, everything is like, but you know, this is the fifth, a little wisdom that goes a long way to diffuse potential conflict, nip it in the bud, make life smooth, relationships smooth. Otherwise, we create our own hell and earth. And through all that, perhaps Hashem will put a conciliatory and loving response into the heart of the brethren. For as waters reflect one's face, so too does the heart of one man reflect the heart of another. So as we already learned in the first part of the Tanya, quoting King Solomon, that the heart of a person is like a mirror. And again, you can try it and experiment. Just like when you look in the mirror, the mirror can help but reflect your face back at you. If you love another person, the other person can't help but love you. Try it. Take a person who doesn't love you and develop a love for them. You'll see the person can't help but just respond. It's like a mirror. The mirror can't help it. It's not a choice. If you truly love another person, the other person's heart will respond. A heart responds to a heart. If you really like and love another person and respect them and like them and love them, the like, love, and respect you in return. You just can't help it. So the Rebbe is telling us, Hasidim, you have to love the misnagdim either way. Even if you don't get any positive response. Even if they're so caught up in their immaturities that they don't even have the capacity to grow up. That's their problem. But let's hope that if you develop a love for them, they won't be able to help themselves but love you in kind. Reciprocate that love. The heart will respond to the heart. So they don't understand it. They won't understand it. They'll be expecting this harsh response. The Hasidim should do to them what they were going to do to the Hasidim. That's, by the way, what happened when the Jews, when the Arabs, when the Arabs won, when the Jews won, they thought that the Jews are going to do to them what they were going to do to the Jews that they won. They were ready to butcher, rape and butcher the Jews, literally. They were expecting the Jews to do the same to them. They couldn't believe it. How the Jews treated them and welcomed them and embraced them and stay, stay, stay put. And because they can't imagine that there's another reality, another way of living that's so beyond their, their poisonous world, their negative, harsh world. It's such a loving, kind, good goodness that they can't even envision, they can't even imagine. And all those enemies of Israel can't even imagine such kindness. When Iran suffered from its, one of its worst earthquakes a few years ago, Israel offered to send a team to help salvage. Because unfortunately we had the most experience anywhere in the world because of all the bombs. They, was, they were so forbidden, they said we would rather die than get help from those Jews. But 
we offered our help, genuinely offered our help. In Haiti, we were there the first ones, before the Americans. And with real help, that really helped them. Not like the bumbling help that until uh, we got our act together and whatever, we helped them. We help Arabs. We help our enemies. They can't even imagine such a concept. The BDS movement, they're so fabulous, they're so poisonous. They can't even imagine the goodness of a Jew. The kindness of a Jew, the genuineness of a Jew. They can't even conceive it. In their twisted world, everything is so poisonous. Everything is so, so riddled with lies. Everything is so murderous. Everything is so evil and negative that they project. The Jew must be like us. If we're murderous and liars and evil, the Jew must be the same. It's just a reflection of who they are. But nothing can be further than the truth. Out there, I'd be saying, listen, the Misnagdin, maybe they're not up to it. Maybe they don't have the maturity, they don't have the will to really respond in kind. But we can hope and pray that if we'll show them love, counterintuitive, and it's not what they would expect, they will be completely shocked and taken by surprise, but they'll respond in kind. They'll respond in kind. Their hearts won't be able to help themselves, and they'll respond in kind. They'll start loving the Hasidim. And like this, we can mend this rift within the Jewish people between the establishment and the Hasidim and, and bring the Jewish people together to live in peace and harmony. And when Jews live in peace and harmony, Mashiach comes. This is a tall order. The Alter Rebbe is laying the onus on the Hasidim. He says, who do I expect to bring this about? The Misnagdim? I have no expectations of them, unfortunately. They don't know any better. They don't have the tools. They don't study Hasidim. What do they know? With all their brilliance and all their learnedness and the scholarship, they're so in the dark they don't, they're clueless but from you the Hasidim you're in the light you merited to appreciate the light to absorb the light to receive the light and you're benefiting from this tremendous intense burst of light this miracle I expect you to become even better deeper more profound more genuine and you should be the ones to provoke take the initiative and provoke this love fest between one Jew and the next. Even if it's unconditional love, and even if it's undeserved love, and even if it's... But do that. Which can only come from a sense of egolessness. A sense of genuine humility in the face of Hashem, in the presence of Hashem. This, although this letter was written 214 years ago, but the demands of this letter is eternal. The Rebbe is speaking across generations. So those, now that we learned it and we studied it, we have to internalize this letter and live up to these very high expectations. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.